so we have to relearn how to get into our bodies and that a woman does need to be opened. So he can no longer come at her the way he used to for sex because now she's sober, more conscious, and now she needs to be opened instead of, like you said earlier, a man all of a sudden wants it. And when he feels, when she feels that want and she doesn't want it yet, that's gonna cause resentment. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davy. I'm not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I'm someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same. Like right now. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are going to be talking sex, 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 sex. Yes, the secrets of pleasure with Heidi Reve. Okay, but before we get to Heidi, I just want you to know that TikTok, TikTok, the countdown is nearly over. Uh, we will soon be launching our Strife Method for Addiction group coaching program, the world-class life-changing experience that helps you to become someone that doesn't drink alcohol and to live a conscious kick-ass life, to build your rocket in the flight of Mars. Everybody who goes through the experience comes out the other end, a changed individual in one way or another. It's beautiful, it's brilliant, it's brash, it's ballsy, and it's happening on the 31st of January. If you want to learn more about it, then let us know at 1kdaysober at gmail.com and we will ship you a presentation that I did uh, that gives you the nitty gritty so you can have a real good look at it to see what it's like. If you want to experience some of the videos, then go to www.1000daysober.com. It's our website. Click on the page First Rung, slip your email address in there, and we will send you a mini series called The First Rung that has six of the assignments that that, uh, comprise uh, over 120 different video assignments in the Strive Method of Addiction. So you can have a look at them and you can say, yeah, think this guy's onto something. I think he might be able to help me. Or I think this guy's a fucking prick and he doesn't know what he's on about and I ain't giving him a cent. Uh, And to just let you know, the price of joining is £795 sterling if you want to pay up front. If you want to have a payment plan, it's £900. Pay off over six months. Absolute steal. Absolute steal, ladies and gentlemen. We do have a personal coaching plan option as well, where you can work with me and the 1000 Days Sober team. If you're interested in a personal plan uh, where we hike the price up a little bit more because you're going to get that personal touch, then email us at 1kdaysober at gmail.com and you'll see how much it costs to see my pretty face uh, twice a month. All right. What else do I want to tell you, lovely people, before I pass you on to Heidi Reve? Oh, yeah. I want to say a beautiful, wonderful welcome to Tiffany Gormley. Tiffany is an embodiment and breathwork specialist. I had a breathwork session with her the other day and I was fucking bawling my eyes out. She is amazing at helping you release stuck and trapped energy, right? She just joined the 1000 Day Sober team. Get in there. So excited to welcome Tiffany. And if you are part of Strive, if you're a Strive member, then you will get to know Tiffany and you might even get to work with her as well. Strive subscriptions, by the way, £40 a month. Okay. Just let us know and we'll sign you up. Okay. And you can get weekly coaching calls from yours truly. You can get on all our Marco Polo groups, our private Facebook group, uh, £40 a month. If you're one of those people who's like, I'm not paying anything for recovery. I can't believe this guy is charging money for recovery. Then don't worry about it. This is free. The private Facebook group at 1000 Days Sober is free. Uh, YouTube is free. 1000 Days Sober. Instagram is free. 1000 Days Sober. And then best of luck. You'll be okay. There's so many people who quit alcohol just listening to this podcast alone. So um, no problem there if you don't want to dip your hand into your pocket. Okay. Without further ado, since the beginning, there are little to no inhibitions. As the world develops, societies get more complex. Rules become more streamlined. This event results in a scenario where our pleasures are repressed. Pleasures are inhibited, and we may start to crave for freedom. We want to experience pleasure without knowing how and when to start. Before acting on it, we must first understand what pleasure is. And today, 
with Heidi Rivet, who herself is a 1000 Day Sober Coach, we look at various aspects of pleasure. You will realize that pleasure does not equate to materialism, neither is it only about sex. There is pleasure in doing the things we enjoy, the small things. Heidi talks about these along with the effects of alcohol it has on them. Heidi discusses how these all connect to our sense of validation and self-worth. Despite whatever people think, your pleasure is for you alone to enjoy. And if you want to learn the best conscious pleasure practices, tune in to uh, this episode. Here's a little message from Heidi. Hello, everybody. I won't do a voice. I'm a sexual empowerment coach, supporting ambitious humans on their journeys of deepening connection to their bodies and exploring desires. After decades of curiosity about my own yearnings, I felt called to guide in all things sex, love, and relationships. I have an abundance of tools, practices, and resources that I'm privileged to share with you. For me personally, I've been able to take radical responsibility for my life and my body. I had to learn my emotions and desires on my own. I love my wildness and hope that you do too, whatever the looks like for you. Eliminating guilt is such a turn on, says Heidi. What once felt like wrongdoing or even shame can be healed when it's nourished with love. For the first time in my life, I am whole. I feel wildly alive. I am the queen of my life and I'm here to awaken more of you. Go get it, Heidi. Um, Episode highlights. What are me and Heidi talking about today? Uh, What is pleasure? How do you experience it? How does alcohol fit into this whole picture? We all think alcohol is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Is it really? Um, Learning conscious sexuality. What a word that is. Masculine energy and dominance. The effects of being drunk. Drunk versus sober sex and some really super vulnerable moments that me and Heidi share. And I ask you to please respect that vulnerability, okay? Uh, Getting your libido back planning for sex and dealing with pent-up sexual energy. I got plenty of that. That's why I'm always on here shouting all the time, folks. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of the beautiful, the amazing Heidi Rivet. See you on that group coaching program on January 31st. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the beautiful, the amazing Heidi Rivet. How are you doing, Heidi? Fabulous. Happy to be here. It's nearly Christmas. What what do you think about Christmas? Oh, actually, this might come out after Christmas, but we're nearly we're we're talking before Christmas. What do you think about Christmas? Does it get you all joyful and excited, or does it stress you out? What, what, where are you with it? Oh, that's interesting that you say that or ask this question because I've been sitting with that this week, especially. I'm like, huh? I don't really feel any joy towards it. I don't feel any extra excitement towards it. I'm not like that excitement when you feel like. You know, there's still some innocence there when you're a child and you get mm. excited. It's more just, oh, I get to spend some time with family. Um, but now that uh, COVID's around, that's looking different as well. So this year, it's kind of just another day. It's another day. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like, it's an interesting topic to springboard off, actually. I'm, I'm kind of the same as you, you know. It's like when I, I actually, I have very few happy memories of Christmas when I was younger. So the kind of like the excitement about going to bed and not being able to sleep and waking up in the morning because we were quite poor. You know, like I only remember a few Christmases where I woke up and I had like lots of stuff because as a child, like I was just very into materialism. I just wanted lots of good stuff. So when I didn't get lots of good stuff, I, I you know, I just didn't get the memories with that. So like throughout my life, Christmas has been more about, pain and suffering and and debt and stress and all that kind of stuff. And then questioning whether you're, why are you buying your kid this and that? And, you know, materialism comes into question. And so I want to link this actually to, to pleasure because, you know, my mentor said the other day that I have a deep rut in my uh, neurology around no, being a miserable bastard, I guess. <laughs> I think uh, so many humans do. I don't think you're alone in that. <laughs> <laughs> and he says to me, go out, get more joy, get more pleasure. I mean, how much is this this background of mine, like these stories that I'm telling you now, how much are they linked into what's going on? And how do you work with people to to get rid of that so we can like, yeah, have more pleasure? What is What is even pleasure these days? I like to think of pleasure as... What makes you feel good? Like not in a way, like you said, materialistically or superficially, but what are ways that you experience pleasure? For me, a big one is putting on music and dancing. Like 
That is an incredible pleasure spot for me. It lights me up. It turns on my body. It's instant joy. I forget about everything else. And I'm literally in the moment. It's one of the only things that I get so much out of just in that moment. I mean, unless we go into sexual pleasure, but Hmm. dancing, I would say is one of my biggest pleasure practices. Okay. I want to talk about that a little bit because when I need to shift states, one of the ways that I shift states is I download the lyrics of a really a song that means something to me, or I know it's going to rile me up or something. And I belt it out and I get an incredible amount of pleasure around that. I also do get pleasure when I dance, but then that begs the question, well, why aren't I doing more of this? And why aren't I like, for example, why don't I learn to sing better? Why don't I learn to dance? Why don't I go dancing? And then I get confronted with this outside in aspect of my fixed mindset, which is, well, what if I'm no good at singing? What if I'm no good at dancing? Like, how do you help people get beyond that kind of um, limited thinking? I'm actually hearing two things there. I'm hearing one is, and this is not what you're saying, but this is what's coming through for me is one is, well, that's not going to make me money. I'm not going to get an accolade validation for doing those things. So that is very ingrained in our culture of if I'm, if it's not, I'm not going to get the validation that I need that I, why do it? Um, And then the other one is what you said of why all of a sudden do I say, huh, well, I'm not going to be that good at it. So I like to start them off with a practice of worthiness and deserving and where in their lives do they feel that they aren't worthy and where in their lives do they feel that they don't deserve something And that goes deeply rooted into our childhoods of, well, I'm not worthy of being good at something creative because my mom told me I'm good at science. Or I don't deserve pleasure because I have the limiting belief of I have to work really hard in order to make something of myself. So I go into those limiting beliefs around worthiness and deserving. Like there's so much there. And why don't you feel that you wouldn't be good enough, good at dancing or singing? Like, where did that, where did that start? Well, it's pretty weird because when I was younger, I was, you know, I, I was a little actor. So I was, mm. I was the artful dodger in the school production of Oliver Twist. And the only reason I didn't pursue it is I wanted to fit in. And, and as I was getting older, drama and singing wasn't cool. Yeah. So I, I stopped myself from doing it. And I, I think what happens to me is back then when I'm like 14, I'm on stage and I'm getting applause. So I'm getting external validation that I'm good at this. So now that I'm 45, I'm afraid that I won't be good at this. So I stopped doing it. But when I'm just there in the house and nobody's listening to me, obviously I don't care what I sound like. I, I just belt it out because I feel goosebumps and I get pleasurable feeling um so yeah it, there is still an aspect where i need to break out of that Burn, burning man helped me with the dancing side of it i, I remember going dancing and with uh, liza and uh, our friend magda and you know there was people like naked there was people half naked there was people wearing a, a insane stuff and i had to dance with these people and i felt completely uncomfortable until the woman, the DJ, asked us to close our eyes and to just feel our body. And then I, I felt intense pleasure. And then when I opened my eyes after some time, I felt comfortable again. So there's, there's definitely something rooted in my childhood, teenage years around external validation that prevents me accessing as much pleasure as I could, I, I guess. Yeah. And we all have different thresholds of... I keep hearing like, well, I won't be good at it. Or what if I'm not good enough? Or what if I'm not good? You know, whatever it is, it's like, what's that threshold that makes you good enough? Mm. What's that threshold? Is it again, validation? Does it come back to the amount of validation or praise you get for X, Y, Z? Is that what makes you good enough? So I like to dive into that too. Yeah. I definitely would say that um, I'm in that, I'm in that process of becoming more of an inside out kind of guy. So then singing becomes, I can combine singing and dancing with silliness. And if I, if I do that with my daughter, then I'm, I'm just being silly. 
but there, but there is still a part of me, Heidi, that wants to actually hire a vocal coach and just see what I'm capable of doing. That there is still that, there is still that competitive. I would still like to go into a place, pick up a karaoke mic, and just burt it out, and the people to go, oh wow, that guy was really good. Like that's still an aspect of me. But at the same time, I want that to be that I'm doing it for myself as well. So there's a little bit of conflict there for sure. It's making me think of what Preston says about those things that you develop in childhood to get approval. It's like, or that you do, it's either rebelling, withdrawing or acquiesce. And so it's making Mm. me think of like, so much of it is that people pleasing aspect too, of like, I had to people please in order to get the love and attention I needed. Mm. So it's like, does that, that comes also into that worthiness and deserving and validation as well. And so, this all this all fits into alcohol as well, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Like um, when I was young, when I was good at something, I was really good at it. So it was like, this guy is the best footballer. This guy is the best singer. This guy is the best dancer. So anything where I felt that it was going to be difficult to be the best at it, I ridiculed it or shunned it. So I didn't have to challenge myself. I'm curious, why do you say that has to do with alcohol? Because um, I think uh, I think that whole process of being was linked to a desperate need to be accepted in what I perceived to be uh, the most beneficial tribe for me, which would be, I mean, in America, you would you would say jocks, right? In the UK, it was it was the sporty. The sporty guy, the sporty guys got the girls, the nerds got beaten up, right? So you had a choice of being sporty or nerdy where I grew up. It's very polarized. So I wanted to be part of that tribe, but to be part of that tribe, you had to give up certain things apart your personality. And you had to do things you didn't want to do. And one of those things that you didn't want to do, but you were convincing yourself you did was drink alcohol. Another one was taking drugs. And I imagine for a lot of girls around our age that time as well was allowing guys to touch them and have sex with them and, and go, in, go into sexual behavior when they, were, when they weren't ready. Women are still doing that at my age. Yeah. Expand upon a that of, a little bit. Yeah. That's something I hear quite a bit from my clients today as women is, well, shouldn't I be ready? Well, what does it mean to be ready for sex? I don't know if I've ever really been ready. Hmm. And when I ask, well, do you feel comfortable saying no? Well, I've never want, I've never said no. And it's this deep, I feel a deep belonging. It's so up. There's three big wounds I work with is being, uh, feeling like you belong, feeling safe and feeling loved. And so these three things I feel like have so much to do with women, not honoring the boundaries around sex, women having sex too soon because we're raised in a culture where we should just be turned on wet and be able to orgasm in three minutes, because that's what a man does. Mm. And that's what our culture has trained us that we should be that way. And a woman doesn't take three minutes. Woman needs a lot longer and she opens differently. So we forced ourselves to have sex before we're ready or before we even want it at all. I guess this fits into many different facets that I'm thinking in my head here. I, I imagine dating, for example, would be, see, if I'm a guy and I'm dating, then there's, there's just an assumption in my head because I'm an adult that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a date with someone. And then if we click, that's going to end up with, in like sex, right? But I'm just thinking about how that feels from a male perspective versus a female perspective. Like, I imagine, like, I, I, I've been watching... <laughs> I don't know why I watch these things, but I've been watching the Ripper stories on like Netflix, right? Like the old uh, Yorkshire Ripper documentary. And I, and I, and I, and I still think to myself, and maybe because I remember those days in, in uh, how unsafe it was at periods for women to just even go out of the house. Right now I think to myself, imagine a woman and a man together, they're drinking alcohol or whatever they're doing. So they're losing a little bit of kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Who's, who's the person who's most vulnerable here? I'm always, I don't want to take power away from women, but I'm always thinking because the guy is generally physically more able to dominate. And also there's something, I don't know, there's just something that happens with sex and like that, that just, I don't know, where I certainly, I, I, I link sex and aggression. Absolutely. Especially um, when you so, mix in the alcohol and drugs. Yeah. So then I'm thinking, 
How does a woman deal with all that when it comes to sex and boundaries? And it must be terribly difficult. Well, I think back to when I was drinking and partying so much through high school to my 20s. And I remember one time we were out partying. We were in Tahoe. It was New Year's Eve. And we were hanging out with these guys. And I woke up and the guy was on top of me and inside of me. Hmm. And I remember carrying so much shame for so many years of, I should know better. I shouldn't have drank so much. Why did I black out? Like there's all these stories linked to that. And I feel like there's a ton of these stories out there, a lot. And women take on this shame. Men don't even realize it. So to me, it's like, and this pulls into what you do around addiction is how can we bring more awareness to the drinking and the drugs so that we can be more conscious and be able to honor our boundaries? Because as soon as we fill it with that drinking and drugs, everything else goes out the window. So it's like, I feel like we need both of the education. We need the addiction and what it's doing to us. And then we also need the boundaries and your sexuality and honoring your body and getting to know your body. Because when you're mixing alcohol with that, how do you honor your boundaries? How do you even know what they are? It's very difficult. Whenever I talk about this or write about it, there is is some kickback on it as well. So inevitably, I've had women say to me in the past, it's not the alcohol that abuses people. It's not the alcohol that rapes people. It's the guy. Like, stop using alcohol as an excuse. It's the guy. But I can tell you that when I was a teenager, I got really drunk with a, like, as a teenager, we went out, we got drunk. And the the, the thing at the end of the night was grab somebody, just grab anybody. Like, you, you try for the most beautiful person in your mind that you could, you could think you could pull. But at the end of the night, you would just literally, your job was to just go home with somebody. So if you didn't wake up the next morning and you were talking to your mates, that you, you could talk, telling them that you pulled somebody, like you had sex with somebody. It was such a toxic way of being. And, well, I, and doesn't this go back into what our previous conversation around validation and needing to belong? Yeah, yeah. Same thing. And this is how yeah. toxic it can go, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I remember being uh, in bed with somebody and we started to have sex. She fell asleep. I rolled off. Then I woke back up and I started playing with her and she was still asleep. And I got on top of her and started to have sex with her. And she woke up and she had sex, continued to have sex. And I've never told anybody that ever before. And I sometimes think about how close I came to being a rapist. Like that is a form of rape. And if she would have gone to the police or somebody and said, I fell asleep with this guy and then I woke up and he was on top of me, how different my life would have been. Instead, she woke up and she, we had sex. And they, that was the Russian roulette that I know that I wasn't the only one playing with that one bullet in that gun. And, mm. and it, affected, it affected everybody, everybody around us. You know, like the way that we would go up to the, the woods and, and drink and just all the kind of stuff that would go on in, in, in full view and open of everybody while we were all smashed. It was all almost like this need to just do this, these things was just, there was no room for rationality and logic, you know? And this is bringing, and thank you for that vulnerable share. This is bringing me to why I do this work. I feel that we have these these things and this underlying anger or manipulation or need to have the sex or need to conquer the girl. And I'm not saying it's all against women. There's there's always two sides. Hmm. But we're not given the tools to learn our bodies and our sexuality at a young age. It's either, for me, religion. Don't touch yourself. That's a sin. That brings in the devil. No sex before marriage. You can even talk about your pleasure or desires. That was like, that was the devil. I needed to go into an office and talk about my sins. If I did them, get down on my knees and ask for repentance. And then there's the other side of porn and Hollywood and media. And it's big boobs, hard cocks, and she's wet every time. He's always hard. Everyone always has an orgasm. And it's like these two complete extremes. Mm. But what would happen if we learned this conscious sexuality at a very long, young age? What if, we have, what if I had learned about my boundaries and my body from a very young age, would I have 
gotten to where I've gotten with that man on top of me. And I didn't even know how to tell him no. Mm. I had to like pretend to roll off so that I didn't make him mad because I didn't learn boundaries. So what would happen if we would have learned conscious sexuality at a young age? Would that have been different for you and for me? Mm. Here's my view on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, thank you for your vulnerable share on this as well. I always, I have a 19 year old son and um, since he was very young, I tried to talk to him about sex in a completely different way than it was taught to me when I was younger. And one aspect of that is about respecting women. My, wor- my worry is if someone would have taught me about conscious sexuality when I was younger, I never had sex with anybody sober. So once you, once you drink, what happens to your consciousness? It's not there, right? You're below the line, you're unconscious and you really don't know what you're doing. And there's something about sex for me anyway, when, when I had a drink that makes everything, there's no boundaries. It's, it's just animalistic. And, and maybe, maybe that comes from porn being the only introduction to sex for a young child, finding your dad's magazines, watching your dad's VHS videos. Like that is the only time you physically see anybody having sex. And, and this, I know there's a, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, quote unquote, good porn and healthy porn these days, but my upbringing, it always seemed like there was a nasty edge. Like the guy, the guy's job was to dominate the woman. And then you see the woman enjoying being dominated by the man and how much of that kind of like gets into your psyche that this is the way sex should be. And I I literally went through my entire my entire life, like just having sex drunk. But now when I have sex sober, now I can be very conscious. Now I can be very aware. But even then my selfishness can still come up. So I've got a couple things coming up for me. I'm, t- I'm thinking about the masculine, the masculine energy. We don't want like you're taught your, you taught your son about, you know, respecting women. Sometimes it goes too far and men are the nice guy and they have no boundaries and they don't honor themselves. And then they're just a pushover. Mm. And the feminine needs the masculine to set boundaries, to be a container so that she can fall back and surrender into him. So there is a little bit of dominating and submissive in a bit, in a little bit, but it's a healthy way. So when a man learns his boundaries and a man stands up for himself and a man is conscious in that, he creates this really strong container for her to be her feminine. And we have both energies in us. This doesn't necessarily need to be man and woman, even if it's some sex uh, relationships, like somebody always has more because that's how we have polarity. Mm. But it's making me think of like, it's not that the man is this dominating, angry um, I dominate women, yet that is in our porn culture, like you said, but there is something about the man leading and the man holding the space so that the woman can surrender. Otherwise, she doesn't surrender. And that's why we have so many rigid, hard women. Consciously. Consciously. So the link here for me is being raised by a patriarchal head of the family who's emissions of manliness and masculinity was to shout and to dominate everybody in the house, wife, three daughters, son, like dominate, shout. So when I, when I then had children and got married and went into relationships, I shouted to assert my dominance. And I can see how that, that belief that that is masculinity, that that is how I should behave as a man. That's my role. My personality can bleed into sex. In, in, in almost like the same way. Yeah. So, so if I was to play a fantasy game and I was either a dom or a submissive, I would never want to be the submissive. Like I thought about it in the past and the thought of someone dominating me in a bedroom scares the shit out of me. And doesn't that go into the talk? To- I hate the word toxic. Doesn't that go shadow. into the shadow masculinity of you can't be weak. You can't show emotions. Yes. You basically can't come to your woman or partner with your feelings because you have to be the knight in shining armor at all times. Yes. It's almost like, um, it's like what I, what I, the process I'm quite clearly going through now is killing my hero boy energy, like mm-hmm. recognizing that, holy shit, I've been a boy in a man's body for like 40 odd years. And I've been thinking I've been doing a really good job, but I've been really hurting a lot of people along the way who 
actually are sticking around because they recognize that I'm this been just been this Tom Cruise maverick figure in Top Gun, <laughs> right? Um, and now, now I'm coming out the other end and having these conversations and being able to outwardly process it without feeling ashamed of, you know, past behaviors and that kind of thing, I think it's like a real key part of it. I mean, not everybody has to jump on a podcast and talk about it, but no, um, no. I, I think talking about it is, uh, is like super important, you know? Well, and there's all, there's, I mean, just like you said, you wouldn't want to be the submissive. Like there's also the women's side of things or the feminine side of things where the woman, if she's not being desired and if she's not being sought after, and if she's not being the receiver of the instigation for sex, then mm. something must be wrong. And it's like, well, no, the woman can also instigate and own her sexual desire. The woman can also be the leader in sex or in desire or in that playfulness. It doesn't always have to be the woman waiting for the man and that there's something wrong if he doesn't come to her at all times. Like mm. there needs to be a little bit more fluidity there. Mm. But I also know that the feminine deeply wants to not submit in a weak way, but like, submit and surrender and relax and be able to trust yeah. the space that she's in. Like, sure. I have no problem instigating when I have desire. I love it, but I also love submitting. And when a man just wants to lead that and take me and hold that container, because then a woman can have multiple orgasms and then she could completely lose her mind. And that's mm. the difference between men and women. When they orgasm, a woman loses her mind. She's mm. no longer in the cortical thinking brain. So it's like, we need that place for the masculine to be able to hold the space to dominate, if you want to use that word, so that the woman can submit and surrender into that sexual ecstasy or pleasure. Which, which really shines a light on if you drink, how that can go over yeah. the edge. Yeah. And, and, and not just over the, <laughs> not just over the edge from the guy's point of view, but the one, like I, I've been drunk with women, women when I was a kid, I'd been drunk with, with girls when I was younger who would just like slap me, strangle me, pull my hair. Like, and, and you're drunk. Like, and it's like, all of a sudden it's like a fucking big fight in the bedroom. <laughs> but, I've been there. But, I know, understand. But, but no, nobody's like, <laughs> nobody's like not enjoying it, but, but because you're drunk, like it's fucking, it's, it's honestly, it's like, a, I think it's like a time bomb, you know? And I have a question on this actually. What about, women who stop drinking or men that stop drinking and their partners don't. And obviously drinking for a lot of people, particularly in a relationship which, where they've lost connection is um, there is tr it triggers them to be more open in demanding sex. Right. So let's say you stop drinking Heidi and your partner didn't, and he was like, and he's drunk and he wants to have sex. What, what advice are we giving to people? Cause this, this is um, such an emotionally devastating situation of being for so many people. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm feeling into my own wound here of that. And when I think about me being sober and the man coming to me for sex when he's drunk, I'm already going to close up because I don't mm. feel safe mm. because he's not conscious. Mm. So my body will not be able to open. So... Sure, we can have sex, but it will be very limited to the depths that you can go. And the intimacy is already blocked because he's drunk. So really, the woman is going to walk away from that experience with some emptiness in her and still longing for it to be met and longing for intimacy. So that's really hard. And I think it also goes the other way when the man is sober and she's drunk. I think it's easier that way because a man doesn't need all the holding and, and tenderness and heart opening. A man opens through his genitals, so he can have sex uh, easier. It is easier for him to have sex with someone who's drunk than the other way around. Yeah. but That's where I feel... Go ahead, sorry. No, no, go on, Karen. I was going to say, that's where boundaries come in. What are your boundaries? Maybe that works for some people, but for others, maybe there needs to be a boundary around lovemaking. And setting up that boundary when you're both sober. Yeah. Yeah, I you don't want to do any boundaries in the bedroom. I've made that mistake. Yeah. I I do in my personal experience. I think it's a it's a lot easier. The guy is go. What's the word I'm looking for here? So the 
women can build up in my experience women can build up resentment if they have to have sex with the guy what am, who am I kidding here the women in my life have built up resentment when they have, <laughs> when when they feel pushed into having sex by me i've never felt resentment about being pushed into have sex with any woman however the desire to have the biological desire and urge to have sex with somebody who is drunk who i'm in a relationship with who i absolutely abhor when they are drunk is a massive integrity breach that mm-hmm. used to happen all the time for me a good example is do not come into this house drunk go and stay with so and so i do not want you in this home when you're drunk and then they come home drunk and then i end up having sex it's just such a values uh, violation such an integrity breach so I unconscious because in one respect i'm saying i don't want you anywhere near me when you're drunk i don't like that energy i don't want it around me but but then i'm manipulating and using it for my own desire got it yeah that is not that's not respecting a woman that's yeah. like so wrong because the woman doesn't she wants to just come home you know and there's, and this is the aspect as well of i i noticed of like drunkenness where some people they identify don't they with um i'm an angry drunk or i'm a, or i'm a funny I'm a drunk. happy drunk yeah 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 and i actually think that people can trigger evil or so i'm going to trigger your angry drunk in you because of my judgments so you could be a happy drunk in the pub all day long but if you come home to me and around my energy and you're drunk you're going to feel a judgment judgment and you're going to get angry so like so i i was aware of that so i never wanted to be with those i loved when they were drunk get the fuck away from me as far as you can because i will not i will find it very difficult not to judge you when you're drunk yeah i have the same thing mm. yeah don't come around me when you're drunk yeah. otherwise i'm judging the hell out of you yeah and that's not that's my work as well mm. but yeah i can relate to that and that's why i don't go to pubs and clubs and just i just don't hang around people and when people who are close to me when they are drunk i just leave i just get get the hell out of dodge you know so i'm really i'm really grateful that it doesn't exist in my family dynamic as it did in my old family dynamic in the uk mm. so in, in here in america it's very unusual for people to drink very very unusual to see anybody drunk it's all about the kids it's all about connection you know all that kind of stuff but going back to what we said for people listening so what we're saying is wow massive vulnerable piece here is to have a conversation with your partner and set boundaries around sex when you're both sober absolutely um i'm also thinking about a client that i had who got sober and as soon as she got sober he wondered why don't you why aren't you crazy anymore sexually basically mm. why aren't you like an animal anymore and go wild mm. and so she's had to learn how to come back into her body learn her conscious sexuality that we drink in order to let go release have fun whatever the reason is for that time and so we have to relearn how to get into our bodies and that a woman does need to be opened so he can no longer come at her the way he used to for sex because now she's sober more conscious and now she needs to be opened instead of like you said earlier a man all of a sudden wants it and when he feels when she feels that want and she doesn't want it yet that's going to cause resentment is that making sense i have a woman question on that so when as we get older especially after childbirth as well like women are going to find it harder and harder to get wet right so i have a question when you're both drunk and you're just going crazy what happens to that wetness and dryness is it very subjective or is the woman less likely to get wet because you're not intimacy you're not opening up and then sex happens and then the next day you feel sore because you had sex dry is that is that what happens Yeah, when I, you know, what if if I've drunk have had if I've had alcohol in the past and I try to have sex, my body does not get wet. Right, right. It's uncomfortable, I need more lube. Um it doesn't feel as good. I mean, you're not saying anything because you've had a drink and you're in the middle of it. You're you're less likely to go, "Whoa, whoa, 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 it's hurting, it's hurting, it's hurting. Go get some lube or something." Mm-hmm. You're just going to be just going for it, right? Yeah. Can we And women on? Go ahead. Go on. No, no, go on. I was going to say women also after children they can build that back up 
that's why I really believe in the jading practices of, you know, turning that area of their life back on, of their bodies back on in a healthy way with this healing stone starts to bring cell regeneration, starts to bring in more, um, balance out your hormones and the ecology of your pussy. Hmm. And so there is ways to come back to wetness after childbirth. Can we touch upon that in in a second, actually? Because mm-hmm. I want to talk yeah. about that in in and around the the, the self pleasure uh, thing that I want to talk to you about. But bef- before we go there, I want to spend some time really digging into our thoughts, and we might have different thoughts around the value that people think alcohol provides them when it comes to sex. So I hear this a lot that one of the reasons that people don't want to stop drinking is they think if they stop drinking, their sex life will deteriorate because when they drink, their sex life is so incredible and amazing. But the way that I look at that, and I know that this could be highly subjective, but I cannot get out of this thinking that it will be universal and ubiquitous. When you're drinking, you are losing consciousness. So when you're having sex, as wild as it may be, you're not really connecting. You're just I don't know. You just you're going through the motions. You may come. You may you may do whatever, but it it's not the same as two people completely sober, like both meeting each other's needs and being together at exactly the right moment when they both want to be together. So both of them are consenting right now. Let's do this. That is a million times different and better for me and more advancing for your relationship than you both getting absolutely wasted. And just going crazy because you can still go crazy when you're conscious and when you've built up that trust with each other, right? What What's your thoughts on on all that kind of stuff? Mm, many things just came up, but when you think about like when you're drinking, it's either me based. I need sex. I need to conquer her. I need to please her. Um, for her, it's I need to get in the mood. I need to make myself ready. I need to show him that I'm interested. I need to be able to let go with him. It has nothing to do about what are we creating together? Mm. Like it's all this me based or the other instead of together. Mm. And that's what I feel like alcohol does. Alcohol is very me based. Yeah. And I get it. Like we need it to regulate our nervous systems because there's trauma there. But when you're taking that alcohol into the bedroom, you are completely create. You, you have a wall between you and the other. Mm. You're not really creating deep intimacy. It's more of an, an an act or an accolade, or depending on who's who's behind it, the desire, the need, the the action. Yeah, there's definitely a link for me to unconscious behavior and alcohol, and the self centeredness and the the need, like for me as a man, like the whole point of having sex is coming. Like everything else before that is like, no, it's just, it's just things I have to do to get to come. Like that's how I used to think when I was like drinking, you know, whereas now it's just like, I know my thoughts right now, like as a conscious man, I'm just like, I want to get a hotel room. And I just want to just like, just immerse myself in, into you for hours. Like, like I, I just, my, my, my mentality is just completely different, you know, completely mm, different. That's beautiful. You know? Yeah. If you're listening to this, please don't fall for the, for the lie that resistance tells you that sex drunk is better than sex sober, because that is, I think that is resistance preventing you from being vulnerable enough to even try. And it is hard. It is a challenge. That's, I mean, this is why we hire a sex coach. This is why we hire an intimacy coach. This is why we hire a relationship coach because we aren't taught that it's okay to be vulnerable sexually. Mm. Women need to orgasm and men need to have hard cocks. Mm. A man can't have a soft cock in the bedroom and a woman can't take too long to orgasm or not orgasm at all and just enjoy the moment. Like that's, that's, not, that's not welcomed because that yeah. causes vulnerability. Yeah. You can't come too quick. You can't go too yeah. long. And that's why there's drinking. I feel like as well, like we drink because it gets me in the mood as a woman or we drink because it makes me last longer as a man. Yeah. And it, it, it prevents us from, it prevents us from having to be vulnerable. Yeah. And it prevents us from having to quote unquote fail in terms of how society pins 
the word failure on sexual performance. So if you're listening to this, folks, what I always teach people in a stride method for addictions is when you're looking at value is look for a long-term lens. So whereby you might be saying to yourself, oh yeah, let's drink because we can loosen up and we can do this mad, crazy fuck thing. That is not going to help you long-term because that missing vulnerability piece in the bedroom is likely going to be missing in your relationship full stop. I find it very unusual. Like me and Liza like are super vulnerable with each other. It would be crazy for me to think that the one place we wouldn't be vulnerable, let, let's say if that was the other way around, like all of a sudden we are super vulnerable and intimate, but outside of that, we're never vulnerable. Uh, it's either in your relationship or it isn't, right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of relationships don't have the vulnerability piece. No, no, no. I see that a lot. Because it hasn't strife. been normalized. Mm. I see that a lot in strife. People mm. stop drinking and it's like, yes, done it. Smashed it. 1,000 days sober. Great but they don't have a relationship with a person they're sharing a bed with because they, they can't go there. They don't know how to go there, which is why we built the Strive Method for Relationships. Because once mm -hmm. you get out of your addictive cycle, now the real work begins of loving yourself and loving other people, you know? And let, let's focus on that loving yourself bit, another taboo topic. I, um, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with people and I send them like a weekly form and it's just like universal that every time the form comes back from the woman, it says libido high or low is always low. Like I, I have never had a form back from a woman's like, yeah, my libido is really high. It's always low. So we, you touched upon it a little bit earlier. How can a woman in her late thirties, forties, fifties, even sixties, how can they get their libido back? Mm, this is really deep work. Um, because we grow up in the patriarchy and it's all about doing, it's all about accolades that we're not worthy if we're not doing and having accolades. We become these hardened, hardened, hardened men in a way. And our turned onness comes from tapping back into our femininity, femininity, tapping back into our flow mode instead of that go mode into being and receiving and just practicing pleasure. And with my clients, this is, I mean, once we work through some trauma pieces um, and child inner child work, we then go into pussy work and it's introducing our women back to their pussies. Like there's a lot of trauma that we carry there. So I'll guide them through um, like pressure point work in their pussies and their vulvas to release tension. And sometimes they're crying. Sometimes there's emotion there because we carry so much. So it's introducing us back through first healing um, and then pleasure practices of conscious masturbation, um, which is not just five minutes with my vibrator. It's I'm going to light a candle. I'm going to pull out some oil. I'm going to slowly stroke my legs. Like my lover is seducing me hmm. and I'm going to learn to seduce myself and turn myself on. And this will feel really awkward at first. Um, sometimes the women won't even want to touch their pussies right away because there is so much almost fear. So that starts with maybe breast massage as a pleasure practice, um, showing their bodies love. And they're just starting to open. They're starting to soften. They're starting to go back into that feminine, that feminine place. Um, and then I like to introduce glass dildos um, so that we could do G-spot and cervical work. There's a lot of pleasure in there, but there's also a lot of sometimes pain that needs to be released as well. Uh, and then I like also working with the jade egg and the jade egg is that jade stone. Jade is very healing and this can reawaken a woman. This can build more sensitivity. This can balance out her pH. This can bring in more wetness. And once you start to turn on that area, that's your sexual energy. Mm. And so you use this sexual energy as fuel. Like it's not just for sex. So I could be walking through the grocery store and I could pull up on my pussy and I can all of a sudden start to turn on that sexual energy again. And I could walk around the grocery store and shop with my sexual energy. And so it's teaching women to come home to, and men, but it's teaching women to come home to pleasure. Sexual energy isn't to be feared. 
And the more that you practice, so I have a daily practice, the more that you practice, the more that this just comes naturally. And it's not that, oh, I'm turned on all the time or I'm turned on right away. It's I have access to that part of me and our sexuality or sexual desire also goes in seasons. So sometimes I may not want it. Sometimes I may just want some love and intimacy and some connection without touching my genitals. Other times I may be ready for it. So it's learning our bodies, learning the natural seasons of our sexuality and desire, but also learning that there needs to be work. Like it's not just, I'm going to go straight for pussy and all of a sudden I'm going to be magically turned on. Mm. Well, I like that because what was missing from what you, what was missing from what you just said there was build up a more connected relationship with your husband. Like it was, it was all about like, if you want to fix your libido, you've got to work on your, you've got to work on yourself, which I, which I think listening to this is massively important. Why glass dildos? Safer. They're not as porous, so you can clean them easier. Different stones carry different properties. So you want to, do you want those properties inside of you? A woman's vagina and pussy is extremely, um, is a receiving, receiving place. So it receives everything you put into it. Hmm. So especially the more awakened and more conscious you are, you can even receive your partner's trauma and unhealed things because you start to become that awake. So being careful of what you stick inside. So I don't like to use plastics or rubbers of any sort because that's a chemical. So I'd mm. rather use something more natural. You and Liza would get on. <laughs> when, <laughs> you were, when you were talking about that, I could just see Liza going, <laughs> chemicals. <laughs> like anything to, do, <laughs> yeah. anything to do with chemicals, you go fucking nuts. Um, the nutrition coach in her. Do you know what uh, come, uh, comes up for me when you're talking about this is one of the things I teach people in a strike method for addictions is the reason that we all, all become addicted to something is that we exist in a life of scarcity, right? And so, like Liza used, used to say to me, we talked about this the other day, actually, said, Lee, you walk fast, you eat fast, you talk fast, and you fuck too fast, right? Like everything you do has to be like 100 mile an hour. Like, fucking slow down, boy, right? Like, but it's scarcity. It's just scarcity thinking, scarcity of time, scarcity of this, this, and this. So, like, when it comes to like pleasuring yourself, uh, honestly, I, I have this um, I have this clear understanding now of how, how scarcity mindset can affect your your self pleasure and your masturbation uh, practice. It's almost like it's not a masturbation practice. It's a oh, quick, like I gotta ch- jack one off before any everybody else comes back in the house. Or I something. need a release. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like it's it's so scarcity, not abundance. And I want to share something actually. Uh, the other day, I was in a, a group coaching call, and for the two hours, we talked about sexual shame. So there was 35 of us and we all shared our sexual shame. And one of my uh, sexual shames was asking Lisa for sex. So I felt ashamed to ask for sex because it, it felt like I was a little boy begging. And if I didn't get what I wanted when I was coming from an unconscious state of being, then I would act like a petulant child. And then there were times when I would get sex when I know she didn't want to have sex and I would feel shame around that as well. So I came away from that call thinking, I'm done with this. Like, I'm not going to be ashamed anymore. And uh, Liza's uh, mom took Zia for a walk. And it's just me and Liza in the house. And that never happens. And I, and I shut it downstairs. We have an opportunity to get a bit jeeky with it if, you, if you're up for it. And I took my top off and I was messing about, you know. And Liza's going, well, you know, I'm not really in the mood right now. And I said, okay, that's no problem. I'm, I'm going to have some time to self-pleasure myself, if that's okay with you while I've got some time. And it felt so weird saying <laughs> that. And Liza just said, yes, yeah, sure, go for it. And I'm a man, like, a, like I'm a man. And I was thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I'm going to put some candles on. I'm going to watch some of this really nice porn that Dominic DeVitas said is really healthy and worth watching. And I'm going to take my time and I'm going to touch myself and tickle myself. And, and that was like a, a massive leap away from the norm for me. Hmm. And, and you said like, you have a daily practice. 
It's not always that, but yes, I have right, a right, practice right. with my I sexual say, energy. Like I, I, again, I would, I, I felt shame around that. Like what I know you said that your daily practice isn't purely sexual and masturbation, but I've gone through periods of time where every day I wanted to masturbate and then I feel ashamed. And also like this strange, what if, what if Liza asked me for sex? What if we have spontaneous sex and I've just masturbated? Like, which is an absurd story because when you're in your forties and you're living in the situation I am, spontaneous sex is about as unlikely as fucking Santa Claus coming down my chimney, right? Spontaneous sex is a myth that we need to bust. And that's only in Hollywood. Let's bust it. Let's yeah, bust it. Like the sex needs to, when you're in long-term relationship, you need to plan sex. And I know that that's, that's something I have to work with with my clients is yeah, I know that kills the magic at first, but you get to go create three hours on the calendar for you guys to do whatever you want. Mm. So let's kill that myth because I hate that. Like, Oh, it's not spontaneous. I used to have the same thing. It's never spontaneous and passionate. Well, something about conscious sexuality and sex conscious sex is you create a conscious container that on Wednesdays from three to six is our time to get together and anything goes. Mm. Yeah. Me and, and Liza started to book hotels. Great idea. So even though it's not spontaneous because you booked it, once you're in there, it's sponta- you're, you're, spon- you're, you're able to just shout, scream, do what the hell you like, right? Because you haven't, got your, you haven't got your in-laws, you haven't got your daughter banging down the door. You can just be completely calm and chilled out. And I actually found, this is a great book. I don't know if you've read it, How to Improve Your Marriage Without Talking About It. Mm-mm. Okay, so there's a wonderful exercise in there. And it says, um, if you take mine and Liza's relationship as an example, I'm more likely than Liza to be nagging her for sex. And Liza is more likely to be demanding and wanting connection. So in this book, the, uh, the authors say, flip it. So for a, a period of time that you designate, my job is to instigate deep connection and intimacy whenever it is demanded of me, as well as me trying to do it anyway. Liza's job is to have sex whenever it is demanded of her. Now, people might think, I don't want sex every time he demands it. What they say is if you do this, you reach a state of almost like sexual homeostasis where all of a sudden the guy is not chasing after you because he's he's not in that outside-in mentality. He's having sex, so he's feeling connected because that's how a man sometimes feels. I, I feel connected when I'm having sex. Yep. Yeah. So, so then all of a sudden I could go two weeks and I don't even want to have sex. Why? Because I'm having sex. Does that make sense? Absolutely. But, when I'm, but I'm not having it. I'm yep. such a desperate little unsexy pain in we the ass boy. We need sex. We need it. Yeah. Relationships need it. Like it's healthy to want it. It's healthy to have it. It's healthy to have desire for it. Like it's normal. Like that's how we came into the world was through sex. Mm. Like it needs to be normalized. Especially for like what you said, a man feels his heart through sex. A man connects to his intimacy or his emotions through sex. So when a man asks for it, like sometimes, yeah, you won't be in the mood. What if you don't have, maybe her pussy is not ready for penetration, but what else can you do so that you can have pleasure and she can have pleasure? Maybe it's not about penetration that day. Yeah. I used to get so frustrated because of the contradiction of it so for example like when i get into spots when i'm not having sex and are disconnected from life in the past like i would get really angry at the truth that in order to have sex liza needs to feel connected and intimate with me but there's also another truth that in order for me to feel connected and intimate with you i need to have sex so somewhere the usness of us needs to sort that out Mm-hmm. And and right now we're there and it's beautiful and I love it and mm. and it and it and it touches every area of your life for me. Like I'm a better dad when I'm having sex. I'm a better coach when I'm having sex. I'm just a better human being when I'm having sex. It's almost like um if 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 not, um somehow this sexual energy is is just is being is being blocked or you know, I'm again, like I was going to ask you this actually, like, you know, Napoleon Hill's old sexual transmutation, mm-hmm. you know, like this is like the most powerful energy that we have. It's almost like a superpower, right? Like, yeah. 
do you talk to your your clients about using this energy and what to do with it? Like, what if you have a client who's just not getting sex and you've just got all this pent up like sexual energy? Like, what would you be saying to them? This is when I give them a pleasure practice. So men or women can have a conscious pleasure practice. Right. And something like if you're familiar with Kundalini awakening, it's you're waking up that energy in the base of your spine, and then you can move that energy throughout your body. So I can. I can move the energy up to my solar plexus. I can move the energy up to my heart. I can move the energy up to my throat, my third eye, the crown chakra. And so something called sex magic is what I'll teach clients. And they'll take themselves into a pleasure practice. And then they'll learn to move that energy up the, up the spine through the chakras. And then instead of, which normally what we do in sex is we shoot our energy out. And so we're tired and depleted after sex but you can recirculate that energy. So that's where the se- sexual transmutation comes in. Like I can bring up that energy from the base of my spine. I can bring it back down you and I, down me and I can circulate it in my body in a microcosmic orbit. I could also do this with a partner. Mm. So this sexual energy now is in my body and I can bring this out into the world. I can use it for my business. I can use it for this conversation with you as I'm coming from sexual energy instead of depleting myself or just coming from my head. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. There's a great book called The 15 Commitments to Conscious Leadership, and it surprised me so much that they actually talked about sexual tension in the workplace and how valuable it could be if you talked about it and everybody was open about the power of it. And I was like, holy shit, that's a conscious advanced book there <laughs> to be talking about <laughs> sex in the workplace in that way. But yeah, I, I've often thought to myself, you know, like say I, I have to, let's say I need to be really creative, for example, but then I choose to masturbate and then and I come, then I'm, I am very aware that I'm kind of losing a lot of that creative juice that I could have been using in, in the work. And I think it was, you know, Dominic DeVita, who we both know through Kaboom. She said to me, uh, maybe you should practice um, non-ejaculatory mm-hmm. orgasms, which, which I haven't done for a long time, but I, I did do it. And I was like, holy shit, this is weird. <laughs> so you able, I I, you've been able to achieve it. Achieve yeah, it. I didn't like it, though. I didn't like it, though. Because, well, because, and that's the practice I give men is to not ejaculate when they're self-pleasuring, like maybe only ejaculate one out of the seven times. Hmm. And that also helps build stamina for a man. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I remember reading a book called The Tao Sexology by Dr. Stephen Chan. <laughs> I was doing everything in that book. Like, because he was like, yeah, you can make your penis bigger. You can stretch it. You can dangle weights. So I was like stangling weights off it, <laughs> stretching it, slamming it in the door, like doing all these exercises. <laughs> that book's the greatest, by the way. There's a list There's a list in the book, if you're listening, folks. Places where you shouldn't have sex because it kind of destroys your energy. <laughs> and one of them is in the middle of a battlefield. <laughs> It's like don't have sex in the battlefield. Well on Doc. I'm gonna remember that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, for guys listening, if I remember rightly, you just masturbate normally, and then as you're about to come, almost like in between your perineum and your balls, is to apply pressure with your fingers, and that that motion will block the ejaculate and it will actually just go back into your body and it won't come out, but you'll still experience orgasm. But in the times that I did it, the the intensity of the orgasm wasn't as strong. So being selfish. It takes a lot that. of practice. Yeah. Right. So if I keep practicing it, my intensity will return. Is that what you're saying? Maybe. I'm going to yeah, give it a go after this. It, is yeah, finished. That's this a is conscious only, practice. <laughs> this is the only podcast where I feel comfortable <laughs> of stopping and going and, and, and having my <laughs> masturbating. <laughs> St. Eliza. Uh, like I just had I a, have homework. A, I've just been on with Heidi. I'm just going to have a wank. <laughs> Guys, if you're listening to this, by the way, if you're not getting enough sex, right, go to www.1000daysober.com. Go to the podcast page. Find Heidi's links. Go seek her out and book sessions for your wives. Because I guarantee if you're listening to this and you're, and you're interested in it, your wives have likely lost their libido. And if they can get their libido back, 
the likelihood of you maybe getting some sex is going to be <laughs> accentuated tenfold. So send all the guys, send all your women to Heidi, all right? <laughs> and all the guys go to Heidi as well. Learn how to masturbate inside uh, yourself. <laughs> thank you. Love oh, it. Heidi. This was fun. Yeah, we... Uh, we we shared some raw stuff. We went deep. I hope that really helps people to to understand the power of vulnerability. We had a bit of a laugh as well. Heidi, it's been a real pleasure. Mm. Really enjoy talking to you here today. Thank you, Lee. Just another reminder, folks, that if you want to work with Lee Davey, that's me, and the rest of the 1000 Days Sober coaching team, then get over to www.1000daysober.com and book yourself a Choose Yourself call with me or a member of the 1000 Days Sober team so we can see if you're a good fit to take the Strive Method for Addictions course, the Strive Method for Relationships course, or just join the Strive support team. And if you're feeling in a really, really serving mood, please rank and rate our podcast at whatever podcast platform you do, or spread the word around social media and tell people to come and listen to us. Thank you very much. Love you all. Bye.